Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Wednesday, May 3rd, 2023. It's about five minutes after three o'clock in the afternoon here on the East Coast of the United States. Scott Horton, my dear friend from antiwar.com and now a, a weekly member uh, of the Judging Freedom family uh, joins us. Scott, always a pleasure. Thank you for coming here uh, today. Thanks, sir. You, you know, I was uh, being interviewed on somebody else's podcast the other day and I, I thought of you and I was um, blaming a lot of our woes on the forever continuous war attitude uh, of the neocons uh, in both parties, in the State Department, in the Defense Department, in the government, in American culture, in American milieu. And somebody said, well, what do we do about it? And I said, ask Scott Horton. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, what do we do about it? This is almost self-fulfilling. The members of Congress in whose districts these military bases are and who in whose day, which employ a lot of civilians, voters, and in whose districts the uh, military industrial complex exists, which employs a lot of uh, civilians, will always vote uh, for more guns. Uh, the um, American intelligence community has dirt on the vast majority uh, of members uh, of Congress. Um, uh, Secretary, uh, Speaker of the House. Uh, McCarthy just finished addressing the Israeli Knesset and goes to a press conference and a, a an English-speaking Russian reporter said, are you going to stand by your statement made uh, six months ago that we're not giving President Zelensky a blank check? And he scolded the guy and said, no, I don't stand, don't stand by it. We're going to give them whatever, whatever they want, uh, whatever they need. Why not your people uh, get the heck out of Ukraine within five minutes? I don't know if this is planned or not. Uh, Mitch McConnell came out with a tweet that basically mimicked what uh, Speaker uh, McCarthy said. Okay, my question is too long. Roger Ailes used to say the best questions have five words. What about this? <laughs> what about this? Is it an attitude we'll never get rid of? Does it take American boys in body bags to get rid of the forever war, American exceptionalism, we'll kill whoever we want attitude amongst the people that write our laws and spend our tax dollars? Well, it's a great question, Judge. You know, um, I'm a Ron Paul guy, and he always just said education is the key, and that ultimately the people, even in the Soviet Union, ultimately the people got the government that they demanded or the lack of one. Um, and so, you know, uh there's no question what you say about the war party ruling in the Republicans and the Democrats. There are a lot of anti-war leftists and progressives and liberals, but they don't rule the party. And there are a lot of America firsters on the right, but they're not in charge either. 
And so we, you know, very much have a Joe Biden, John McCain type, George W. Bush type, um, you know, uniparty when it comes to foreign policy. Um, you know, on the other hand, the American people are absolutely sick and tired of this. I mean, the led by the soldiers, in fact, and the veterans, the polls have shown the majority of the American people against the war on terrorism and overall against foreign interventionism and wanting to come home America overall you know, in attitude since the early Obama years, since, you know, the still the 2000s before the teens. And um, the problem is it's just, it's too low of a priority oftentimes because right. there's so much other stuff going on. So um, I don't know if McCarthy and, and um, uh, Speaker McCarthy and Senator McConnell were speaking from their own intellectual honesty or they had just looked at polls which told them to continue pressing in that direction, because I want to point out to you a very recent poll touted by, of all people, the Brookings Institute, uh, showing that those who think Russia is failing have gone from 46% down to 37% in a year. Those who think Ukraine is winning have gone down from 42% to 26% in a year. Mm -hmm. This should send some sort of a message to these Republicans before they authorize another 20 or 30 billion for Joe, old Joe to spend however he wants, shouldn't it? Well, you know, I'll tell you, I'm writing this book and I've been reading a lot of Washington Post and New York Times, I hate to say, but that's who the government talks to the most. So you got to read a lot of that. And you know, even last fall when um, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff Milley was saying, geez, I think that we got a pretty good score there in uh, Kharkiv and we ought to look at negotiating now and quit while we're only this far behind and not worse. That yeah, at least in the post and, and a few different you know places I've read where part of the consideration seems to be that, geez, we lost the House and there are these anti-war Republicans not McCarthy, but there are, you know, Gates and some of these others who are against it. And sure, there's really Andy Biggs, there's Thomas Massey, right? Right. So it does matter what, and, you know, one more thing about that, Judge, is um, the there's this really important Rand Corporation study from 2019 called Extending Russia, as in overextending Russia, how to provoke them into overexpansion, right? Like in the Afghanistan doctrine of the 1980s and that kind of thing, what we're trying to do to them now, really. Um, but, uh, and, and it's all about how to provoke them in all different ways. But one of the things that really stands out in that study is that throughout it, they say over and over again, on the other hand, German public opinion polls show that they won't stand for that, or British polls show that they won't stand for that, or American polls show that they are really not interested in doing that, and that we have to take that into account. And so I would even say it's naive on their part in a way that really they probably could disregard us more than they feel like they need to, but they seem concerned with whether we support what they're doing or whether we're, especially whether we're dead set against it. You got know, it, got it. Gary, do we have, um, uh, secretary, um, uh, Austin being questioned by Senator Wicker. See if you can put that up. I think Scott has seen it, but I want to follow it after some commentary with general uh, Cavoli. I don't know if you've seen general Cavoli. This will open your eyes. Mm-hmm. So we'll just keep talking. If Gary has it, it'll pop up. It'll it'll cut us off because it has volume in it. Are you getting it, Gary? 
Yeah, it looks like he's getting it. So uh, Secretary Austin basically testifying, uh, Scott, before the Senate Armed Services Committee, the one once famously chaired by John McCain for many years when the Republicans uh, ran the Senate, um, uh, and uh, basically saying, oh, don't worry, uh, Ukrainians are in good shape. We're going to give them the support they need, and we're optimistic about their chances. Now, at the time he said this, under oath, he was aware of the contents and authenticity and accuracy of the documents that the government says Jack Teixeira released, which, of course, say the opposite. Gary, do we have it? Just let me know. With, with regard to your optimism about Ukraine having the upper hand, that is what you told me yesterday. It, it is. Now, uh, Ukrainians have inflicted significant casualties on the Russians, and they have depleted their uh, their inventory of uh, armored vehicles in a way that no one would have ever imagined. And so now we see Russia reaching for T-54s and T-55 tanks because of the level of damage that the Ukrainians have inflicted on them. And we have, in the meantime, been... And reaching, reaching for those tanks uh, demonstrates what to you, sir? It demonstrates that uh, their capability is waning. And we've uh, continued uh, to witness uh, them be challenged with artillery munitions and other things. And they're reaching out to Iran. They're reaching out to, uh, to North Korea. I think, you know, we'll see an increase in the fighting in the spring as uh, conditions for maneuver improve. Do you believe there's a real chance for significant Ukrainian advancements between now and the beginning of winter? I believe there's a chance and we're doing everything that we can do to uh, ensure that they have their best opportunity to be successful, Senator. Okay. Obviously not telling the truth. Perjury, probably. Will he be prosecuted? Of course not. You and I both know this. The government doesn't prosecute people that lie to mouth the government's argument. The last person prosecuted for lying to Congress? Roger Clemens, the baseball <laughs> pitcher, for lying about the contents of his urine. You can't make this up. First trial was a hung jury. Second trial was acquitted. Okay, that's not my point. My point is he was saying what he knew was not true. Here's a guy who works for him now. Four-star, very senior. She, a commander-in-chief of all U.S. forces in Europe, Air Force, Army, Navy, Marines, General Christopher Cavoli, saying the opposite. I'd like to underline your comment about the specificity of the degradation of the Russian forces. Um, much of the Russian military has not been affected um, negatively by this conflict. Much of the Russian military has not been affected um, negatively by this conflict. Um, one of those forces is their undersea forces. Um, it's hard to talk in public, as you well know, sir, about, about undersea warfare and our efforts in that regard. But I can say that the Russians are more active than we've seen them in years. And this is, as you pointed out, despite all of the efforts that they're undertaking inside Ukraine. If I were snarky, I would say I guess he's getting ready to retire because he's certainly not mouthing uh, the government's line. And are you surprised to hear this? Uh, no. Um, and in fact, there's more to that clip where, you know, he essentially talks about the strength of the Ukrainian army and its ability to launch this so-called spring offensive. They're waiting for the ground to dry out from the rainy season into the summer here, I guess, late spring, so that they can try to launch this offensive they've been talking about. But even before the Discord leaks came out, military and White House officials had told the Washington Post that they severely doubt 
the Ukrainians ability to launch a spring, an effective spring offensive at all. And they say, you know, both sides say or, or feel like they need to launch something to prove that they can or something like that. But, you know, I interviewed Daniel L. Davis. I'm pretty sure you're familiar with him, um, who writes for 1945 and was in Iraq War One, Iraq War Two, and Afghanistan. He was the famous whistleblower from Afghanistan from right. uh, 2012 and is a great analyst of all this. And he says, win, lose, or draw. If they you know, launch the Ukrainians launch a, a powerful offensive and and make some major victories somehow. That's still their last stand. And if they lose or just run up against a brick wall, then it's still their last stand too. And then where they go from there, nobody knows. It could be that the reserves that they're building up are so well armed and so well trained that we'll all be surprised. Um, it you know remains to be seen. But Davis is saying it doesn't matter because even if it even if they succeed in some limited goals, that'll be their real last shot. And then they'll be doomed after that. And the, so the Russians, our, uh, our friend, Larry Johnson, who was just on right before you, uh, quotes an ex FBI agent who, though not in the FBI anymore is, is anti-war and who, who monitors this stuff as saying Ukraine's professional military knows that the offensive would be the so-called spring offensive suicidal. Ukrainian losses of manpower continue to be extremely heavy. Russia claiming that Ukraine lost 15,000 men in April alone. Losses of equipment are reaching the catastrophic uh, level. Does Joe Biden, in your opinion, know this? Do the neocons in the State Department and the Defense Department know this? Do they care about it? Do they have an off-ramp? Again, I don't know about what Joe Biden knows what Jake Sullivan is telling him. But yes, clearly... You know, the, the things that you're talking about, there are reflected in official statements to the major papers, even if it doesn't become the major narrative. And overall, they say everything's fine and everything's going well. You can find plenty of caveats if you read the Wall Street Journal on a regular basis, that kind of a thing that reflect exactly the reality that you're talking about, that they know that. And as again, last November, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff said we should quit while we're only so far behind and not worse. And uh, Sullivan said that they better at least act like they are open to the idea of negotiations for PR's sake then um, in order to appease anti-war forces in America because people are already getting really sick and tired of this. So back you know, to your original question, whether what we think matters or not, it does, really does. I, I hate to say what I'm about to say, but it's my truthful view. Uh, the American public are not going to wake up to the moral significance of the anti-war movement until American boys start coming home in body bags. And Joe Biden cannot explain or justify legally or politically how the hell they got there, why they were killed by Russian troops. Yeah, well, we do have special operations forces. According to the Discord leaks, there are 100 allied special operations forces, including, uh, I believe it was more than 25 Americans there right now. Uh, I mean, if we have real American casualties, that'll be because the worst case scenario broke out and we have a major power conflict between the United States and Russia, which would almost certainly lead not just to body bags, but the annihilation of American cities and deaths by the millions or tens or even hundreds of millions. Uh, Gary, can you um, can you run the uh, drone videos? We're going to switch topics and you've probably seen these, but if you haven't, you'll uh, you, you can comment on them afresh. You'll, you'll see the drone. There it is. Mm -hmm. 
exploded right on the other side of that dome building. Now you're going to see it again. This is the Kremlin in the middle of the night. There it is. You can see the Kremlin wall. So this is taken from a Western television outside the Kremlin one more time. Now, this is a Russian television version. It's just the other side. If you look carefully on the left, you'll see the other side of that dome, and then you'll see the explosion. Mm -hmm. You'll see a close-up of the fire on the roof of the dome. There's the fire burning on the roof of the dome. And there's the close-up. Uh, Larry Johnson thinks the fire is either debris or fuel uh, from the drone. My question to you is, are the Ukrainians crazy enough to do this and try and provoke Putin? He has a home. I understand he doesn't regularly live there, but he has a home, a glorious apartment uh, in, the, uh, in the Kremlin. Hmm. Would they be crazy enough to do this? And suppose it turns out that this drone was made in Iowa. <laughs> well, um, yeah, you never know. Um, it's a, it's a wild, wild arms trade out there, judge. But, uh, I'll tell you, um, I think that, uh, yes, the Ukrainians would do this and they've run sabotage campaigns and assassinations and all kinds of things beyond Russian lines. They've blown up two trains in two days. Um, I think it was yesterday and the day before that, uh, they derailed two trains with explosives inside Russia. And I think, you know, it's funny. I saw the reaction from the, you know, liberal group think Twitter swarm today was that this was a false flag that was even trending. This is a false flag. It must have been the Russians attacked themselves in this way, just as an excuse somehow to escalate the war when, of course, Putin can escalate it, you know, if he wants to anyway. But they were kind of basing it on what an ineffectual attack it was, which I think is fair to say. It looked to me Although I don't know why that means it's a false flag, it just yeah. seems to me more it, like it, it was. A it was. It was ineffectual, which has caused some of our sources to say it's to send a message. We can get this close. Larry Johnson says the last time there was an explosion over the Kremlin in Moscow was 1941, and it was the Nazis, and we know how they fared uh -huh. uh, in that. Uh, this will, if anything, galvanize. I'm using Larry's word. Uh, the Russian people behind uh, President Putin even more uh, than they are now. I think, you know, that's probably true. It could be true that they would do it for that reason, but I don't think that that's probably necessary from, you know, not knowing that much about Russian politics, but I know Putin is still relatively popular and yes. there's not, you know, widespread dissent against the war in the country right now. So, um, but it also makes sense from a Ukrainian point of view that they would do that as a morale boost that, look, we can reach out and touch the Kremlin, even if obviously they set the roof on fire and, you know, for, for that, for anyone to say it was a, a true assassination attempt against Putin, I think is kind of deliberately missing the point. Uh, while all this is going on, the Secretary uh, of State was at a conference today celebrating the freedom of speech. So this is Tony Blinken. I, I don't know who he was speaking with, but watch what happened. We've uh, been able to talk. Excuse us, we can't use this day without calling for the freedom of Julian Assange. The Biden. The extradition request well, uh, two hours and not one word. Take it easy, take it easy, take it easy, guys. Not one word about Journalist Shereen Abdul Akhli was murdered so, by the Israeli so, forces in Palestine. Uh, not one word about 
we're we're here to celebrate freedom of expression, and we just experienced it. Let me let me continue, uh, uh, Mr. Secretary, to to ask you about Evan, Evan Gershkovich and your efforts to get him free. Uh huh. I don't want to talk about Julian Assange because what he revealed, the truths that he revealed, embarrassed and humiliated their predecessors. But they do want to talk about uh, Evan uh, Gershkovich, uh, who knows what he was doing uh, when he got caught. Your your thoughts will we'll end our happy 20 minutes together. It's always happy no matter what we talk about because you're such a great guy uh, and you're always smiling. We'll, we'll end our, our, our comments today on this. What do you think? Okay. It's hard for me to not just go off on a tangent about how much I despise Anthony Blinken. To imagine this guy is sitting in Thomas Jefferson's chair is just kills me. All day, uh, you know, it's the Condoleezza Rice of the Biden administration. Um, but look, first of all, he's talking with David Ignatius, who's a former CIA agent and obviously still a CIA agent and regular writer for the Washington Post. He's known, widely known as the man closest to the agency at the Post is who he was right. talking to there. And then that's the heroic Medea Benjamin from Code Pink. People say that Code Pink got silent when Obama got elected. That is not true. That lady and her friends have been, you know, really kicking behinds this entire time doing things like that and showing up at protests and rallies and, and all those things this whole time. And what she's saying there is absolutely right. Imagine the hypocrisy of these people pretending to stick up for free speech, which, you know, if I'm sorry, that guy, Ivan, I think you're talking about there, that's the Wall Street Journal reporter. He should be let go. But for them to sit there and posture about that while Julian Assange is locked up. And then I'm not sure um, who the guy that that Medea was with there, but he also um, uh, joined in that. Yeah. What about America standing up for Shireen Abu Akhled? who was the American Palestinian journalist murdered, murdered. by the IDF last Correct. year Correct. on the West Bank, shot Correct. you know three times in the face with a giant uh, uh, press uh, badge on the front of her jacket. And, um, and that the FBI claimed that they were investigating and then uh, apparently dropped it. And so here's, you know, our closest ally regularly kills American civilians, I'd say closest ally and, you know, ironic quotes, regularly kills American civilians and here, including an American journalist and America basically says absolutely nothing about it. And so both of those are just absolute atrocities against journalism and, uh, you know, against the kind of principles that this country was found on, that we all learn. This is what makes America great in the first place is Scott. freedom, such Scott, as the freedom a, of the press. I am a fierce defender of the First Amendment. And I could not have said it better than you just did. Thank you very much for uh, joining us on all this stuff. Uh, come back again uh, next next week, please. Absolutely happy to. Thank you, Judge. Okay, more as we get it. More as we get it on the uh, drones uh, over the Kremlin. More as we get it on the so-called uh, spring uh, offensive, and maybe a surprise coming uh, later uh, this week. Uh, Judge Napolitano for judging freedom.